A Second Look by River Writer Chapter 7 Hermione woke the next morning with an actual smile on her face. The previous day had been so unexpectedly pleasant that it had kept the nightmares that she still suffered from all too frequently at bay. But she was still nervous about the birthday party. Ron and Lavender would be there, and that rarely led to a pleasant experience for her. Also, things were a bit frosty between Harry and most of the Weasleys at the moment, which meant that things were also frosty between herself and most of the Weasleys, because she hadn't been shy about throwing her support firmly behind her best friend when he and Ginny had announced their intention to divorce. Her relationship with the other woman had deteriorated so much over the years that it was pointless to try and remain neutral. Nevertheless, she was looking forward to a girls' night with Hannah and Susan Bones that night, and then to see Draco and Scorpius the next day. And that made it easier to be cheerful than optimistic. She especially hoped Draco could find a house he liked quickly. Once she'd begun thinking about it, the idea of an innocent baby living in Malfoy Manor just gave her the creeps. Almost as soon as she entered her kitchen to make tea, there was a tapping at the window. Thinking it was a bit early for the Daily Prophet, she was surprised but pleased when she saw it was a delivery owl carrying yet another stunning bouquet of flowers. She took them and removed the note. Of course, the flowers were from Draco. The note was just a simple thing, saying how much he'd enjoyed her company the previous evening and was looking forward to seeing her the next day. But it was in his handwriting, making it just that much more thoughtful. Because even if he'd simply sent an elf to the florist, he had taken the time to write the note himself. She smiled to herself and carried the flowers back to her bedroom. The arrangement from earlier in the week was already decorating her living room. This unexpected gesture had put her in a good enough mood that she could manage to wait to have tea until she arrived at Harry's. She dressed in jeans and a casual, but, she hoped, flattering jumper. She knew that Molly wouldn't approve. She found all muggle clothing to be overly revealing, but she especially disapproved of the figure-hugging denims that Hermione favoured when she wasn't at work. Well, she was finished catering to another person's preconceptions. Her lunch with Draco had been a powerful lesson in reminding her how good it felt to stand up for herself. There were some ways in which that woman was as old-fashioned as even the staunchest of old-school purebloods. But the fact was that every child who had been in attendance, and most of the adults, had regular interaction in the muddle world. Her attire would be nothing but normal to them, certainly not risque and she was done quipping with Molly Weasley over things which were none of her concern. Hermione pulled her hair back into a loose chignon in preparation for a day full of children with sticky hands that could easily get caught in her curls if she didn't take precautions. After that, she put on the watch that she almost always wore, and after a bit of thought, she added the diamond stud earrings that had been a gift from her parents when she'd gotten her record-breaking newt scores. And then, on a whim, she took one of the roses from the arrangement Draco had sent and stuck it into her hair so that it adorned the sign of her chignon. She arrived at Cribble Place a little earlier than she'd planned, but she knew that Harry and the boys would be awake. Again, she marched straight to the library and found the same book she'd come looking for on Tuesday. She was more than a little surprised that Harry had returned it to its rightful place. After retrieving it, she made her way to the kitchen. Good morning, boys, 
she positively beamed as the door swung open to reveal Harry, still in his pyjamas, with comically amused hair. Standing at the stove, James was at the table and Albus was in his high chair, their hair a messy as their father's. Morning on Hermione, James sang, his voice still sleep-roughened. Somebody's in a good mood. Harry turned briefly to glance at her. His eyes fell to the book in her hand. More flowers, he questioned. Yes. She knew she was grinning stupidly, but she couldn't help it. Harry just shook his head knowingly. Well, let's hear what he got you this time. He made a sweeping gesture towards the table, indicating that she should sit and turn back to the stove. I'm listening, he said. She flipped through the pages and couldn't help but appreciate the scent of an aged book, even as she was anxious for answers. Okay, the arrangement has pink roses, a lily of the valley and violets. According to this, pink roses indicate grace, perfect happiness and thankfulness. She flipped quickly to find the next one and nearly gave an uncharacteristic squeal when she did. Lily of the valley means sweetness, humility and return to happiness. She bit her lip as she considered if she wanted to say the next bit out loud, but she needed Harry's advice. It can also be used to say, you've made my life complete. Harry turned around to stare at her, eyes wide, mouth ajar, when she said that, and she hurried to find the final flower. Purple violets show watchfulness, faithfulness, and also say that I'll always be true. She closed the book and sat back to look at Harry, who was still gaping at her, Her heart was fluttering like a hummingbird's wings in her chest. What? she asked, though she already knew. Good Godric, Miney, the bloat's got it bad. I don't know that he necessarily means it romantically. He's made it clear that he could really use a friend, she protested half-heartedly. Harry snorted. (laughs) When was the last time a friend sent you flowers? He parroted her words from earlier in the week. She sighed. I just don't see how he can be serious. I mean, it's one thing to have a change in attitude about blood status. It's another to date a muggle-born. She pushed thoughts of the tender way he'd held her in the restaurant, and then later in her flat, out of her head. And what about his parents? She again reminded him of the most obvious obstacle. I take it you haven't talked about any of that. She sighed. They'd talked about many things over the course of the past week, Had it really only been a week? Including several of a very personal nature. But looking back on it, there were also several issues that they were very obviously skirting. The war, for one, his parents, and then the whole subject of what exactly was going on between them. It was as if they'd reached a detent that they were both afraid to break. However, she had to acknowledge that if he kept making these grand gestures, suggesting he wanted more, that they would have to talk. She needed to know if their relationship could survive a frank discussion about sensitive issues before her heart got too involved. You need to, Harry insisted. I know, she conceded. That's what I was just thinking. For what it's worth, while I certainly don't claim to be an expert on the subject, I've been around Malfoy long enough, and I've seen how he behaves, and the Wizengamot especially, and to know that he's a meticulous man. He's careful and usually rather reserved. I don't think he would be doing all of this if he didn't mean it. If for no other reason than you're a powerful woman, he would be stupid to toy with you. 
that he isn't stupid. That said, if he is messing with you, or if he has anything less than honourable intentions, I'll kill him. He pointed a spatula he was holding in her direction for emphasis. Hermione huffed out a laugh. She would have scolded him or reminded him that she could certainly take care of herself, but she knew it would be a waste of breath. Then there was the fact that his defensiveness made her feel loved. She was again reminded of the way Draco had stood up for her and admitted to herself that, perhaps, she could allow others that privilege. She had so many people who loved her, maybe it was foolish to try and fight all of her own battles. Okay, she agreed. He looked at her in obvious shock, but quickly recovered. Whatever's going on with you, I think it's great, he admitted, holding her gaze quite determinedly. Whether it's Malfoy or something else, you're so smart, so capable, but I haven't seen you look this confident. Ever. They were quiet for a few minutes, while Harry finished cooking. Then she helped him plate up the food and serve the boys, before they sat down to eat. Where did the two of you go to lunch yesterday that you weren't seen? He asked curiously between bites of eggs, rightly assuming that if the two of them had been spotted out together, it would have made the profit. I took him to that French place by Mum and Dad's that I like so much. Harry dropped his fork. Draco Malfoy ate in a muggle restaurant, he deadpanned. And the statute of secrecy remains intact, he questioned sarcastically. She laughed freely as if she hadn't been astounded by the same thing just the day before. He did very well. He actually let me transfigure his robes without complaining, as it turns out he knows all about muggle wine. He picked our bottle and then... She cut herself off. And then what? he asked. She really should have known better than to try to keep things from Harry. He and Scorpius came over last night, and we walked to the video shop in my neighbourhood, picked out a movie, and then stopped to get pizza. I could tell he was a bit overwhelmed, but he never complained. I actually think he had fun, she admitted begrudgingly, not because she was ashamed, but a gloating Harry was an annoying Harry. However, he didn't react as she expected. He just stared at her. I'm going back to my original statement. I'm saying that he's got it bad. She snorted. Seriously, Hermione, all that time in the muggle world, that has to be serious outside of his comfort zone. He did that for you. He emphasised somehow managing to simultaneously look uncomfortable, but also beam at her with happiness. I have no idea what's going on. Advocating for Malfoy. I must love you a lot. He looked at her, his expression morphing into the picture of comic disbelief. She kissed his cheek and sighed, because it was becoming increasingly difficult to deny how much she wanted Harry's assertions to be true. They ate the last of their meals in contemplative silence. As they cleaned up after breakfast, Harry turned to Hermione, his face creased with worry. Do you think I did the right thing, hosting the birthday party here? Maybe I should have just let Molly have her way and done it at the burrow. She had wondered when his nerves were going to emerge, and was frankly surprised it had taken this long. She had been waiting for him to ask her that question since she had confided that he wanted to have the party in his own home, and not turn it over to the Weasley matriarch. I think Albus is your son, and that you should do what you think is best. Too many people just give Molly her way, and we both know that she means well, but raised her children already. James and Albus are yours. I also think that tensions are high right now. 
This is already awkward, but I think you'd be completely uncomfortable at the burrow at the moment. If you're uncomfortable, we both know the boys will be able to sense it and be uncomfortable too. As far as I'm concerned, the only thing that matters is that they have fun. She could only imagine how difficult this was for Harry. Tensions between herself and Molly Weasley had been high for years. And truthfully, she had never been enveloped into this family fold as completely as Harry had been. So she was used to it. But until he declared his intentions to divorce her daughter, Molly had truly treated Harry as her seventh son. She didn't believe in divorce at all, and couldn't understand how Harry and Ginny would ever consider it. She loved Harry, but in the end, blood won out, and she took her daughter's side. The fact that Harry had filed for, and was granted, primary custody of the boys was just another strike against him. And given that Harry had always been the boys' primary caregiver, while Ginny, with her professional Quidditch career, had spent much of the year travelling, Hermione thought it made perfect sense that he retain custody. However, Molly, who'd stayed home to raise seven children, couldn't understand that it might not be best for her grandsons to live with their mother. Hermione was fairly sure that Ginny only filed for custody at her mother's urging. She and Ginny had their issues, but Hermione would freely admit the younger woman was a good mother, and she knew that her boys were in good hands with Harry while she was away. But few people were able to stand strong against the tornado that was Molly Weasley, with a cause. It was a testament to just how much Harry loved his children that he was willing to go to battle against the only mother he'd ever really known for them. Frankly, she thought that Harry throwing this party on his own terms was as important for the purpose of making a statement as it was for anything else. She had high hopes for Harry, that he would fall in love again and get married. He deserved all the good things in the world had to offer, but she didn't think that chances of a new woman finding a place in his life were very high if he was under the thumb of his ex-mother-in-law. Harry nodded absent-mindedly at her statement. I mean, even Ginny thought it was best to hold the party here, she reiterated what he told her several weeks before. Ginny was in the middle of a few weeks of intense post-season Quidditch training, and she was especially dedicated, given that she was still trying to come back from the time she'd taken off during her pregnancy, and the subsequent maternity leave with Albus. She was in no state to host the party herself, and Hermione could only imagine that she wanted to avoid the burrow. From what Hermione had witnessed, as much as Molly had nagged Harry about the divorce, she'd been worse with her own daughter. His smile was brittle. <laughs> He scoffed. The first thing we've agreed in a long time. I thought you two were getting along better, she asked gently. We are, he exhaled. We are. If anything, I'm certain now that divorce was the right thing to do. We can at least talk to each other without it dissolving into an argument. That's good, she said quietly. Harry's divorce, in many ways, had been a relief. But it had broken his heart, and so it had broken hers as well. In the end, they were all broken. This post-war generation. So many had gotten married so young, eager to latch onto anything good in the aftermath of the darkness. And now divorces were at an all-time high, even though Draco's situation remained an anomaly among purebuds. She calls every night, Harry interrupted her thoughts, talks to the boys. But we've been talking some too. It makes me remember how we used to be. It makes me miss her. Oh, Harry, of course you do. She took his hands in hers, hoping to lend some comfort. It might be easier if you didn't, but 
it would also be kind of terrible. What do you mean? You miss her because you loved her. I'm sure part of you always will. If you didn't, it would mean that she never meant that much to you at all. And isn't that worse? She explained, thinking of Draco, her loveless marriage. Sounded terrible. And I'm sad for you that it's over, but I'm happy that you shared that with her. That you had that time together, most of which was happy, and that you made these beautiful boys with her. Harry smiled. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't change that. They stood there in silence. The only sound in the room was that of the precious children babbling in the background for several long minutes. I just hope things go well, he eventually confessed. I'm sure they will. Everyone will behave for the sake of the kids, if nothing else. And Ginny is taking the boys for the rest of the weekend? She clarified, uncertain if plans had changed. Yeah, they're pretty excited, at least James is. I don't think Albus understands, though he perks up every time I say something about mummy. I just hope it doesn't confuse them, going back to the house for the night, where they've been settling in so well here. Ginny had asked for and been given the house that they'd lived in their entire marriage, in the divorce settlement. Hermione got the impression that Harry had been glad to give it up. It was more Ginny's dream home than his. They'll have fun with Ginny, and then they'll be thrilled to come home to see you on Monday, she reassured him with a smile. She had no children of her own, and no hesitation in making that assurance. Harry's children rightly adored him. They finished up the dishes in silence. She turned to leave the kitchen in order to get the rest of the house in order for guests, like she knew Harry preferred, but she stopped by the sound of his voice. Miney, he called pitifully. She turned back to look at him, immediately concerned. He was leaning over the sink, and he had his arms braced against it. He almost looked like he was in pain. And when he turned his head and met her eyes, she felt like her heart was breaking. What is it? she asked breathlessly. Is this how you felt when you and Ron broke up? Because if so, then I'm sorry. I wasn't there for you in the way that I should have been. She sighed. I wasn't married to Ron. I didn't have children with him. What he did hurt me, but we both made some huge mistakes. And I don't think that it can compare to trying to separate a shared life. Molly was... He stopped and took a deep breath. Molly was cruel to you. So was Ron. But that goes without saying. I should have stood up for you, he insisted. Ron and Hermione's breakup had been the definition of messy. His infidelity had been the final nail in the coffin, but trouble had been brewing since the beginning. Looking back on it, Hermione had to admit that they'd never had any business entering into a romantic relationship in the first place, and probably wouldn't have if they'd had a normal adolescence. They simply weren't suited. Just weeks into their relationship, Ron was already considering marriage, and even asked permission from Hermione's parents for her hand. It did not go over well when her parents expressed their concern about the speed at which their relationship was moving. It was even worse that she'd agreed with them. She was forced to admit that her boyfriend had no intention of getting married in the near future, and nothing was really the same after that with them. Not with their romance, and unfortunately not with their friendship either. The first time they almost broke up was only weeks after that, when Hermione had declared that she was returning to Hogwarts to complete her education and would not be joining Ron and Harry in aura training, even after she'd finished school. 
Ron had felt abandoned, and Hermione had been unable to understand how he didn't understand her position. She'd made it abundantly clear from the time that they were eleven that her education was paramount. Furthermore, she had never expressed any interest in being an aura. As far as she was concerned, the conclusion of the war was the end of her dark wizard-hunting days. Ron had been adamant that she was selfishly breaking up a perfect team. It continued on in that vein for almost three years, until she caught him in bed in his flat. The fact that she wouldn't move in with him had been another point of contention, with Lavender Brown. Their breakup was destined to be difficult enough, given that they shared a best friend who was also married to Ron's sister, without Molly inserting herself into the situation. While he was clearly in the wrong in cheating on her, even back then she could admit that she hadn't been invested in the relationship in the way that she should have been. Still, she never expected Molly to hold her responsible. However, the older woman made it clear that she thought Hermione's dedication to her career and her unwillingness to commit to Ron fully through the marriage had essentially driven him into the arms of another. According to Molly, Hermione had nobody to blame but herself, and Ron had been all but justified in his actions. It had been a crushing blow to her already bruised heart. That wasn't your responsibility, Harry. I can take care of myself. You had your own relationship to worry about. She shook herself out of her memories and tried to comfort him. She had been hurt by a lot of people over the situation, but she never considered him to be one of them. Harry just looked at her carefully, and then held out his arms. She walked into them without hesitation. Even after fifteen years of friendship, he rarely initiated hugs. One day she was going to hunt the Dursleys down and curse them, she really was. And she was eager to assure him of her affection. It was still a good day. Chapter 8 In Wiltshire, Draco also woke up with a smile on his face on Saturday morning. He liked to think that he was a smart man, even if he'd made some major mistakes in his life. At least he'd learned from them. His burgeoning thing with Hermione was proof of that. The woman had sat tucked contently into his side for hours the day before, first talking to him openly, then allowing him to see her vulnerability in front of those awful women, and then later eagerly explaining the movie to him. Her unguarded, happy expression had been so refreshing, Everything about her was refreshing. He tried to remember the last time he'd seen Astoria enjoy anything, or his mother, for that matter. Pure-blooded women were taught to be mysterious and refined, and overt displays of emotion did not constitute either. By contrast, Hermione was unfiltered. He knew that she was certainly capable of maintaining a poker face, and Potter sat in his ancestral seat on the Wizengamot, but anyone with any political acumen could see that she constituted the real brain and force behind him. And she never would have been able to be successful in politics if she couldn't bluff or hide her true thoughts. He was lucky enough to have gotten to witness her with her friends, and she was with him as she was with them. An open book. He got an unexpected amount of pleasure at the idea that she chose to be real with him. She was not Astoria. She cared nothing for who he was or what his name, title or money could afford her. In fact, she seemed to like him despite all those things, and Merlin knew she had suffered at his family's hands. That she had agreed to spend more time with him, time at all, had actually invited him to her home not once but twice, was rather breathtaking. And he couldn't believe that it had only been a week since they'd run into her in the apothecary, 
or rather since she'd come to his rescue. So much had happened since then, but his life had changed in just a moment while inside that shop, and it was difficult to wrap one's brain around that kind of sudden monumental change. Only Scorpius's birth had affected him more profoundly than her abrupt reintroduction to his life. He had known he'd wanted things to change in his life since he'd first held Scorpius in his arms and realised that the world he inhabited was nowhere near good enough for his precious son. But he'd had no idea how to go about making a change other than to separate himself from Astoria, and he'd only done that for his own sanity, not as part of some master plan. Hermione was an epiphany. The answer to all his questions rolled up in one stunning little package, and just when he'd needed her the most. He'd felt like an impotent fool, completely unable to ease his child's suffering over something as routine as teething, and then there was her offering to help, as effortlessly as breathing. For some reason, he hadn't felt threatened or condescended to, or even particularly wary of her when she'd appeared inside the shop, calling his name. But it was when she'd taken Scorpius into her arms that he'd actually had to fight to school his expression. For eight months, it had just been himself and his son, the two of them in their own world, with only an occasional visitor. But in that moment, he felt the world expand to include another. He hadn't been shopping for a replacement mother for Scorpius, or anything foolish like that, but when he'd seen the way she looked at his baby, he couldn't help but wonder if she might want the role, if she might grow to want him too. He'd never been so gobsmacked, so outrageously bold ideas were so unlike him, but he'd watched her fall in love with his son into the blink of an eye as she cradled him that first time, and in that short time he was pretty sure he fell in love too. From that moment on he'd been on a mission, for Scorpius, but also for himself. They were going to keep her. He'd give her the world if that's what it took. He'd make their world a place she couldn't bear to leave. Every action he'd taken in the past week was with that goal in mind. It made him consider the idea that maybe he'd been a little bit in love with her for a long time, and he just needed to see her with his child to realise it. Or not love, exactly, but something that could have easily grown into it. He had been free for. But prejudice had blinded him to the possibility for a long time. It had probably been a form of self-preservation, though he'd cringe now to think about how he treated her when they were younger. However, if he'd openly admired her as a teenager, he would have been unable to hide it from his father, and Lucius would have skinned him alive. Figuratively speaking, of course, the man needed his heir. Still, it would not have been pleasant. But worse, if his aunt Bellatrix or the Dark Lord had discovered that secret, the flaying would have been literal. No, he looked at her only to find fault during the Hogwarts days, but he couldn't admit now of what he felt had been admiration. He had hated her because she was the vile creature he'd been told that she should be, hated that she'd failed to meet his expectations. He'd never hated her. It wasn't an excuse. It was wrong. But it was what it was. And she seemed willing to forgive him. He was in awe. And he was trying very hard to make his intentions clear, but not to come on too strongly. He'd noticed in the short amount of time they'd spent together that she had a skittish quality about her, which frankly pissed him off. This beautiful woman should be confident in her own desirability, and he blamed that indiscreet cretin Weasley completely, especially now that he knew how he treated her.
He had seen Weasley and his wife at plenty of events. Brown, now Weasley, was pretty, but in a way he'd found to be garish, and that was just begging to be noticed. It was such a contrast to Hermione's effortless, dignified beauty. She didn't need to be all made up for him to want her, and he had every intention of convincing her that fact, but he wouldn't have the opportunity if he scared her off before he got the chance to make sure she knew it. She was a gorgeous, wild thing, basically the opposite of every woman he'd ever met, and he didn't want to startle her so much that he chased her away. Surprisingly, he felt some sort of compulsion to be honest with her, and he had been uncharacteristically upfront about everything they'd talked about thus far. He discussed the details of his divorce with her, for Merlin's sake, and he could tell it was throwing her, even as it pleased her. Because he was quite infamously Slytherin, and so he couldn't blame her for being suspicious and insecure about his behaviour. He'd have been more shocked if she wasn't suspicious at all, which meant he'd have been even more uncharacteristically open with her, and told her how he felt and what he was up to. He heard his son cry out via the monitoring charms that had been placed around his cot. Not an unhappy sound, just wanting some attention, to let the world know he was awake. It only made Draco smile wider. He climbed out of bed cheerfully, though he'd never really been a morning person before Scorpius, and had just done what he needed in order to be on time for school, and later on in life, work. But these days, he was usually anxious to get up and see his son. He made his way to the nursery, pausing to observe the baby, who, rather hilariously, had his face pressed between the slats of the cot to get a better view of his father. He reached out with one hand. He cried. It was simply another call for attention. The little boy was just staring at him, curiously and patiently. Draco couldn't imagine how he and Astoria had produced such a happy, easy child. Neither of them fit the description, to be sure. Morning, Scorp, he said, approaching the cot and laying one hand over his son's pale head. It could nearly encapsulate the boy's entire skull, and he felt, as he had since his birth, blown away by his tiny human vulnerability and the weight of his responsibility to him. You like Hermione, right? Scorpius immediately jerked his head upwards and grinned. Bah! he squealed, and reached out his arms to be picked up. That was good enough for Draco, and he pulled him up into his arms. Let's go and find a house then, all right? Scorpius headbutted him in agreement. Mm-hmm.